Hey everybody, I'm Mike McDonald. My buddy Jesse Stratton loves some of the cheesiest movies ever made. He spent years telling me about them all, so now I'm finally watching these movies for the very first time. This is our podcast where we break those movies down together. This is the Celluloid Dumpster Fire. Everybody, welcome back. Happy New Year and welcome to the first episode of our fourth year of this podcast. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Happy Happy New Year, Jesse. Happy New Year, Mike. <laughs> Today we are watching the 1981 slasher film New Year's Evil, featuring a bunch of Happy Days alumni about a serial killer who terrorizes a new wave New Year's Eve party hostess. <laughs> this is an interesting story. The movie was made on a budget of a half a million dollars. There aren't any box office numbers for it. I think it was. There was a limited release, but not too much. I just remember growing up, and this was always on the shelf, like at your theater, or like any movie store you go into, in the horror yeah. section, they would have this. And this is the only movie I've ever seen with promos for an actual real movie that isn't this movie you mean like they have other uh like trailers for this yes it's not this movie there are there are trailers there's trailers for other movies in this movie oh well it's the canon group right so everything's fly by night you know (laughs) japenny grab a couple of bucks you know that kind of thing Movies Rated R runs an hour and 30 minutes. It's got a 25% critic score on Rotten Tomatoes and a 15% audience score. Critics, there, there were some that actually liked this, and the rest of them just, just hated it. <laughs> and our favorite movie critic, Roger Ebert, definitely had some things to say about it. Roger Ebert says... It's not very good. It is sometimes unpleasantly bloody. The plot is dumb, and the twist at the end has been borrowed from hundreds, if not thousands, of other movies. Cheryl Eddy of io9.com, on the other hand, says New Year's Evil is goofy enough to suggest that even a psycho might make some positive resolutions for the year ahead. <laughs> uh, see, I like, I like their view. At least they're yeah. like, I don't know. At least it was funny. Uh, yeah. yeah no, I, I, it is like just a brutal fucking murder movie and stuff. Right. Uh, but how how to put this? Even as a slasher film, there's not that much gore in it. Yeah. I mean, our Thanksgiving uh, episode had more gore than this movie. It's mostly like the over-the-top acting, I think, is what right. does it. Yeah. Movie features two actual real L.A. bands. One of them called Shadow, which featured the future Pearl Jam drummer Mike McCready. Hell yeah. And Made in Japan, which was an unsigned L.A. punk band with a with 70s psych pop roots. And digital copies of an unreleased EP from Made in Japan can be found on Bandcamp for two bucks. Mm. I'm not saying go buy it. I'm just saying it's there. Um, (laughs) Actually, I'm saying don't spend your money on it. But it's there. Movie was written and directed by Emmett Alston. This guy was a cinematographer from the 70s, turned writer, director, and he probably should have stayed a cinematographer. 
I don't know, man. That's <laughs> probably what I like best about this movie is it it does look cool. Well, yeah, but this guy isn't the reason, I'm sure. Uh, he also directed Three-Way Weekend and Demon Warp, along with a deliverance ripoff called Hunter's Blood. I like Demon Warp. That's a good movie. Yeah, I'm, I'm told that that's pretty, pretty bizarre and maybe even a little funny. Yeah. But here's why this movie looks so great. Cinematographer Thomas Ackerman. Um, now, uh-huh. his middle name is Edward, and so when he was working on stuff that he didn't want his name attached to, he would work as Edward Thomas. But Thomas Ackerman was cinematographer on Frankenweenie and Scary Movie 4. He was also director of photography on Beetlejuice, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, Back to School with Rodney Dangerfield, Jumanji, George of the Jungle, and Anchorman, The Legend of Ron Burgundy. And so, yeah. Yeah, that, that's why it looks so great. Our, our cinematographer is the fucking pro on set. Yeah, there's some parts where, like, the, just the visual composition of, like, the thing is, like, oh, that's great. Like, there's this one part where, like, they show this uh, skyscraper and shit, you know, because it's New yeah. Year's and stuff. And uh, car chases are kind of, like, cool because it's, like, an empty road at night, you know, in a city. Yeah. Um, Made that elevator shaft scene incredibly believable. Oh, yeah, no, that, that's, like, up there with, like, some diehard shit or something. That, like, yeah. that elevator shaft was great. Movie stars Roz Kelly as Diane Sullivan. She's best known for playing Fonzie's girlfriend, Pinky Tuscadero, in Happy Days. She was also in the ill-fated Happy Days spinoff, Blansky's Beauties, and had bit parts in Starskin Hutch, Kojak, Dukes of Hazard, The Love Boat, Charlie's Angels, and Fantasy Island. All the good 70s TV shows. Like all yes. I remember as... Uh, uh, the Demolition Derby episode of Happy Days when Pinky Tescadero got squashed between the Malachi brothers. They caught her in the Malachi crunch. <laughs> <laughs> hey, sit on it. Jed Mills is Ernie. Uh, he appeared in Rabbit Test, that bizarre movie where Billy Crystal becomes the first man to get pregnant. Whatever happened to Billy Crystal, man? He got fucking old and rich and decided he didn't need to work anymore. I don't know. It's just like no one filled his place. He used to do great character work and shit. I miss him. Yeah, yeah. He was also in Twin Peaks, Quantum Leap, Night Court, and all the rest of the 80s sitcoms. Fucking A. Kip Niven is Richard Sullivan. He's a TV character actor. Uh, He was in The Bionic Woman, Adam-12, Project UFO, Falcon Crest, Chips, Alice, TJ Hooker. There's your Star Trek connection. (laughs) In film, he appeared with Clint Eastwood in Magnum Force and one of the very first post-apocalyptic films I ever saw, Damnation Alley. I really liked that movie. Who's in that? In Damnation Alley? Yeah. That was George Papard, Jan Michael Vincent. That's it. Yeah, Jan Michael Vincent. Okay. Hannibal and Springfellow Hawk. Grant Kramer is Derek Sullivan. This is his feature film debut. He also appeared in Killer Clowns from Outer Space. Classic. And from 1984 to 1996, he was in 47 episodes of The Young and the Restless. Also appeared in Lone Survivor and The November Man. And finally, Taffy O'Connell as Jane. Very minor character, but worth mentioning. She's the one you remember from 
galaxy of terror. terror. She's the one that got raped to death by a 12 foot long maggot. Yeah. I love it when we see uh, people that's been on the show before and stuff because it's like it, it reminds you of like like of like the local community of like people that are like are in these movies and shit that you love, you know? Right. But like they're not like the biggest stars. But like these people like kind of say it the same kind of like thing. I don't know. It, it makes me it, it warms my heart when I see like you know uh, Joe Estevez and like two movies back to back on an accident, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because I mean. There really are a core group of people who make movies just to make movies. Yeah. There are working actors who act because they have mortgages to pay. And there are people who act because that's their art and they're going to make art. And I like those folks, you know, especially, you know, the people who don't take themselves too seriously that, that yeah. I'm, I'm going to act. Uh, you want to make a movie? You need somebody to be in it. I'm available that weekend. Let's make a damn movie. Yeah. Like, uh, what was it? Buck Flower. Yep. That guy was the, one of the greatest fans. It's like, you need a drunk guy on a park bench. He was there, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I don't know. I just, I love those guys. <laughs> she also appeared in The Incredible Hulk, Knight Rider, Chips, Happy Days, Laverne and Shirley, and Dallas. Movie opens with a holiday inn. High in the Hollywood Hills at night. Diane Sullivan is having makeup applied. A lot of it. <laughs> I mean, it's 1980. It's that weird uh, era where New Wave and Punk are trying to figure out which one of them's dead yet. Yeah, well, like uh, the Sex Pistols happened and then they're like, oh, all these guys are crazy drug acts drug addict so anybody that was punk they they like all right they cut the hair put on makeup right. and your new wave get you back out the door now your new wave go out there play keyboards or something exactly. so it's like that it's like that weird crossover diane is the host of a new wave new year's eve bash she's got a decidedly glam rock appearance almost a ziggy stardust look to her oh yeah Ernie, her manager, needs to get Yvonne on the phone. Yvonne is Diane's publicist who has gone to her room at the hotel to change. Diane wants to know if she got in touch with Richard, Diane's husband. And Yvonne says he was in Palm Springs, loaded, and probably wouldn't make it to the show. <laughs> so, yeah, typical L.A. relationship, I guess. Oh, yeah. In Yvonne's room, she's trying to touch up her makeup. The shower faucet is dripping. And somebody's rattling the doorknob to her hotel room. So she does what any reasonable woman alone in a hotel room would do when somebody's trying to break in. She goes and opens the fucking door to see who's there. <laughs> <laughs> no, wait. First, she kind of like, she sees it jostling and stuff. Yeah. And she goes back to like putting her makeup back on. And then it starts getting rougher. And then she's like, oh, maybe I should go see what's going on. No, get right. out the window or some shit. Don't, you know. Exactly, yeah. And she peeps out in the hallway, and, and there's somebody walking away around a corner. That That's somebody hiding because you just caught his ass. Lock the damn door. Well, she yeah. does. She locks the door and goes back to her makeup, and the faucet's dripping again, so she's going to try to turn it off again. And that's when somebody grabs her from behind. A man with a knife grabs her from behind. That's when we get our title song and opening credits. The song sounds like 
a Jefferson Airplane style band with really cheesy lyrics. <laughs> yeah. Badly written. Badly written. Oh, yeah. Like written on the back of a napkin at like the fucking like, I don't know, dive bar at three o'clock in the morning type. Right. Yeah. As the as it plays, we get this bizarre caricature punk rock kids. And there's a car full of them going down the road. And and it's it's written like people who have heard about punk rock kids describing some punk rock kids, but they've never actually seen them. Yeah. So it's it's lots of makeup. The girls are a little too smiley. The guys are always sneering and always being uh jerks. There's one one gay guy that is pretending to choke one of the girls. I don't I don't know what was going on there. I don't know it, what it, that guy's deal was. It's the last day of the year. It's New Year's Eve. Everybody's out wild and these young people are out losing their fucking minds. Right. So uh yeah. The girls smile a lot. The guys sneer a lot and pretend to abuse the girls and spit on passing motorists as they're cruising down the the boulevard. There was a hippie lady in a van that just pulled up beside them and flashed them for no reason. Yes. And if you've ever been on one of the Cumberland River cruises on on any of the showboats on New Year's, uh, you're going to see people going by in boats doing the exact same thing. Oh, damn, I got to get on a boat this year. (laughs) Well, the car full of punk teens arrives at the hotel for the show where the doorman asks for their tickets, sounding a lot like the security guard played by John Candy in National Lampoon's Vacation. (laughs) Park's closed, folks. The moose out front should have told (laughs) you. I used to look like that when I was a security (laughs) guard, man. That would would have been awesome. The slick back hair and everything. Nice. <laughs> but yeah, they walk up and he's just going, tickets, tickets, please. Need your tickets, please. Tickets, yeah. tickets, please. <laughs> it sounds like he's got like a candy bar in his mouth. Yeah. Looks like <laughs> he's got a candy bar in his mouth. Well, one of the punks pulls out his Fonzie style switchblade comb and the security guard is not even a little bit impressed. I mean, there's almost a visible eye roll there. Yeah. Cut back upstairs. Ernie and Diane are discussing ratings when Diane's adult son, Derek, shows up with flowers and good news. He got a role in a TV series called Spaceship America. (laughs) Uh, But Diane is very distracted. She's not listening to him at all. And he's pissed. And I can't say I blame him. Ernie tries to call Yvonne, but she's not answering. Wonder why. We just saw her die. (laughs) <laughs> uh, Derek's going to call his dad He doesn't want to go up to the show With his mom He's just going to stay in the room and watch it on TV The show is called Hollywood Hotline And it is a countdown of the best Year's best new wave rock This is where we find out that Diane uses the stage name Blaze Which she will say throughout the show Blaze Yeah <laughs> uh, So go ahead get your shot glasses ready Yes. Because she's going to be doing a lot. Yep. And, you know, this is like a 40-something-year-old woman playing a teen radio show host, you know? Uh, but, typical MTV VJ of that era, though. Yeah. Think yeah. I mean, it. I can't say too much. When I started watching American Bandstand back in 1983, Dick Clark was 54. So, you know what? Yeah. That's just the way the business worked today. <laughs> 
way it goes. Yeah, and I was like, are you sure, man? She's got like, you know, rose feet and stuff. Ah, just more makeup, more glitter. More makeup, yeah. Don't worry. We they don't loaded her camera. up. Yeah, we're still using film cameras, so everything's fuzzy any damn way. There's a band on stage where every guitar player has a flying V. <laughs> it's the 80s. <laughs> every single one of them. Hey, Mike. Uh, this is, yeah. You remember that one music video where that band like shot down a helicopter with the guitars? Oh, you're talking about Aldo Nova Fantasy. Yeah, okay. I, where I the lasers I shoot out of the neck of his the, guitar. I thought I dreamt that. I was just making sure that was, you know, real. <laughs> I used to love that video and that song. Um, that's the kind of stuff this lady plays on her show, you know? Yeah. That's that this song that the beginning of it sounded like something from Apocalypse Now. It had the helicopter and the pterodactyls and shit. Yeah. yeah. That was a great song. I, I was talking to a friend of mine about it, and he, he thought I'd, like, bump my head and had, like, a CTE or something. <laughs> like, are you okay? You just sit down. I was like, no, man. They came out, and they had, like, flying B guitars, and then they looked at the helicopter. And then, like, they started playing really fast, and lasers shot out. It was great. Yeah. Yeah, that was Aldo Nova fantasy. Well, she says that this is um, their last chance to be bad before they make their New Year's resolutions. That's why this New Year's party is called New Year's Evil. Title card. <laughs> no, uh, I love when they do uh, the title drop stuff. And uh, yeah, that just that gets me every time because I'm like, you know, like a little kid. Oh, he said thing. You know, yep. he said the thing. <laughs> and they're going to play the song. New Year's Evil, over and over and over again. Well, yeah, we spent like a lot of money on that song. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, they wrote an original song for it, so they wouldn't have to pay a bunch of royalties. I think they paid somebody twenty bucks to write the lyrics. Yeah, and I'm gonna they get probably could have got it for bucks. fifteen by the sound of it. Yeah. So uh, we're gonna hear this sound a lot. About every time we hear Diane refer to herself as Belay. Well, they have simulcast partners in every time zone and phone banks for listeners to call in and vote for their favorite song. A guy in a vo phone booth with a voice changer calls and Blaze takes the call live on the air. He says that she can call him evil. <laughs> and his voice changer makes him sound like a Dalek. Yeah. Extra he doesn't. <laughs> he doesn't have a vote, uh, but he does have a New Year's resolution. He is going to murder somebody she knows, and that's when Diane hangs up and introduces the band Shadow. They play the theme song again, and the audience do kind of a Xanax-infused slam dance stagger around the dance floor. It's the eighties. It was the eighties, yeah. So but, uh, drunken slam dancing is what it yeah. is, I suppose. Yeah, same thing. But yeah, so far, that's like a great setup. Yeah. Like, you got the host on the thing. Guy calls in. He's evil. That's all you need to know. And he's going to kill somebody, you know. And it's like publicly, you know, I mean, they're broadcasting this. Right. It's like, you know, New Year's. Kind of like Night Stalker. Yeah. Like, what could go wrong? You know? <laughs> <laughs> Well, a car pulls up outside the Crawford Sanitarium, and the guy from the phone booth, Evil, heads inside. There's a cook, complete with paper hat, taking uh, out the trash, and Evil kind of uses the opportunity to sneak in the open kitchen door. 
He sneaks through the kitchen. He has a gym bag and a boom box. So ready for everything. Ready for everything. I, 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 I can either like, we can like, you know, do this the easy way or we can do this the hard way or we can do this the party way. He's ready for everything. Exactly. In the day room at the sanitarium, the patients are all wearing these pink gowns, jumping around in front of the TV, which is playing the New Year's Evil show, and making monkey sounds while the nurses laugh at them. Yeah. So a very yeah. poor opinion of the nuthouse. Yeah, 80s. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But also, they like they've already done some, which is like they don't usually do in horror movies. You see the killer's face, like as he's going through the nut house. You just straight up see him, like that's oh, right, the guy. right. Well, you saw it in the phone booth too. Oh yeah, nah, yeah, because I'm thinking of like like him seeing him. Yeah, okay, but it, like that's kind of like outrageous. Like you already know who the killer is. Yeah, we know exactly who the killer is. We don't know who he is, but we can recognize him when we see him. When you see this yeah. guy on screen, somebody's gonna die. It's the white guy in the peacoat. In the hall, Evil is checking for unlocked doors, and he gets through one of them. That's when one of the nurses steps out for a smoke. And as she comes down the hall, he comes out the door and kind of startles her. He introduces himself as Jeff Winters. He's been sent over from the county hospital to help out since they are short-staffed. And he always comes well-equipped. I bet you do. Of course, we're going to have Taffy O'Connell deliver that line. Yeah. I bet you do. He's got his own music, which is what elicited the uh, I always come well prepared remark. And he has a bottle of champagne since it's New Year's Eve. So before I clock in, is there some place you and I can sneak off to to share this bottle of champagne? And well, yeah, as a matter of fact, there is. The nurse finally introduces herself as Jane, and Jeff asks her to dance, and she agrees. They have been drinking champagne out of little paper pill cups. <laughs> it beats specimen jars, I guess. Oh, yeah, no. <laughs> that always reminds me of that bit in uh, the Rocky Horror Picture Show, where they're pouring the wine at the dinner, and Rocky has, has a glass. His glass is a specimen jar, and the audience line is... Why is Rocky drinking out of a specimen jar? Because he's a piss-poor actor. (laughs) (laughs) There's a reason that's his only movie credit. (laughs) At the New Year's Eve show, the band is playing a slow bluesy number, and the New Wave kids are doing a kind of zombie shuffle. Like they're all exhausted. They are zanned out. That is just straight up. Yeah. Yeah, Backstage, the police have arrived about the murder threat, and... Yeah, Lieutenant Clayton is kind of an asshole, and he's blaming Diane for attracting degenerates and then calling the police to deal with the degenerates. Actually, uh, yeah, no, I'm with the cops on this one. I hate saying that because you know how I feel. (laughs) They are so right. They're right. Also, uh, Blaze, first costume change off camera. She's now a new Blaze. Yes. And... uh, yeah, the cops come in and they totally like give the lady the business. Like, look, hey, we wouldn't, hey, it's New Year's. We wouldn't have to be putting up with this shit if you weren't on here with your, you know, your diet hair and your rock and roll music, you know, driving. Exactly. You're creating these de- degenerates. But if the guy calls again, they will try to trace the call. Just keep him on the phone as long as you can. 
So Diane calls her room at the hotel to talk to her son, and he's got three little red pills lined up beside the phone, and he's moving in slow motion, which makes me think he had a whole bottle of little red pills at one point, and there are only three left. Oh, yeah. He is higher than giraffe balls at this point. Uh, Diane asks if he's seen Yvonne. He hasn't, but he wants to tell Diane something important, and that's when she has to go. She's always there when she wants to say something. She's too busy for anything he wants to say. So, so, so he hangs up and eats the remaining pills. Big mommy issues. Big mommy issues. Yeah, definitely. At the sanitarium, Jeff and Jane are making out. She's only known him for 10 minutes, but she's going to have sex with him anyway. Or at least that's what she says. She says, hey, hang on, I've only, he's starting to un unbutton her shirt. And he, she says, I've only known you for 10 minutes. And he says, does that matter? And she says, not tonight. Fucking New Year's, man. Man, tell you what, kick it off right. I don't know. I'm afraid to go out, man. It's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> it is approaching midnight in Times Square in the day room. The nurses are putting hats on the patients and sticking horns in their mouths. Kind of like they're decorating Christmas trees. They're all just standing there kind of slack-jawed. And the nurse is sticking little party hats yeah. on their heads and sticking and party horns makers. in their mouth. Yeah. Oh, man. That is like something straight up out of like a trauma movie. <laughs> like, you don't see that in real movies. You no, know? no, you don't. This like totally like just crassness, you know? Yeah. As the countdown to midnight proceeds... Evil pulls out his switchblade, and at the stroke of night, he stabs Jane several times, and each stab is followed immediately by the patients blowing their party horns, so it sounds like he's stabbing a squeaky toy. Yeah, it's like when they escape out of prisons and stuff, and they gotta wait for the thunder and lightning, you know, to hit the rock. Yes. It's that, but with, uh, yeah, party horns. Yep. Back at the show, uh, we catch a little behind-the-scenes stage direction that maybe we shouldn't have seen because they pan around the audience and there's somebody there with a microphone. There are people lined up on these, like, steps and there's somebody who's motioning them to start jumping off and, and they just take turns jumping off the steps. It's kind of an organized chaos type thing. Yeah. Evil calls Diane slash Blaze, Blaze, mm -hmm. uh, from a phone booth. And uses his voice changer again to make himself sound like a Dalek. Except now he has the robotic timing. <laughs> he says he's made his first kill. And he plays the recording for her. He tells her that she should tell the police they'll find the body somewhere in the sanitarium. Cut back to the sanitarium and another nurse is going looking for Jane and she finds her dead in a closet, hacked up and bloody. Back at the hotel, Derek has a switchblade and his mother's red pantyhose, so he cuts the leg off of one of them and pulls it over his head. Oh, man. And then he pierces his ear with a hat pin. One Derek's of those big, long insane. pins. Yeah. Like yeah. Derek is messed up. We had a punk rock day in junior high school one time. And I pierced my ear with a safety pin for that. Damn, Mike. I did. I wore, wore that safety pin around all day long and then took it out when I went home because I didn't want my parents to find out that I'd done that. So. You could have got, like, infected. Could have, yeah. Didn't, <laughs> but could have. Yeah. Hmm. You could have got infected and turned all punk and shit. 
Just dumb shit. Yeah. Your hair would fall out to a mohawk pattern. It would have. Probably would have turned blue, too. Start, like, getting, like, you know, chains growing out of everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> that happens, man. Not the good chains that are connected to the biker wallet. The bad chains that are hanging off the shoulders of a leather jacket. Yeah. You know, you're going to juvenile hall chains, not the chains that get you the nickname chain. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Back on stage, Diane is dancing on stage as the band plays and the drummer is flexing. And that's going to happen over and over through the movie, too. Uh, Derek tries to call his dad, but the line is still busy. So he watches his mother on TV and starts tearing apart the roses that he bought for her. All while still like having pantyhose over his head. Like, All while he's got his mother's red pantyhose over his face. Yeah. It's just so messed up about seeing a kid with pantyhose. <laughs> Not a kid. I mean, he's got like 20, you know, but he's got pantyhose on right. his head and he's just trying to make a collect call to his dad. <laughs> it's just so messed up about that. And then, and yeah, then he it cuts the roses. Yeah. Then it cuts back to the stage and the, and the singer does a <laughs> laugh at the uh, end of his song. Don't know why. Because it's evil. It's evil, yes. And it's break time. Cut to evil gluing on a fake mustache. It is the fakest fake mustache that ever fake. Oh, yeah, no. It goes It goes from, like, creepy guy in a peacoat to pervy doctor to evil guy in a peacoat to uh, creepy uh, hot tub salesman with fake mustache. Yeah, yeah. He turns into Leisure Suit Larry, 100%. Yeah, no, he comes up, like... Collar and everything just appears once he puts this mustache on. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah. And he walks into a disco, of course. Uh, meanwhile, Lieutenant Clayton and Diane are talking backstage. Um, they found the body. So this creep on the phone is for real. And Diane thinks he also killed Yvonne, even though they have no evidence that Yvonne is dead. She's just not answering the phone. We know she's dead, but. You know, Diane wasn't there. The cops weren't there. They haven't found a body yet. And not only has he killed Yvonne, she thinks, he's coming for her also. So he's going to kill somebody at midnight on every midnight until he gets to L.A. and then kills her. I think that's the plan. Yeah. See, this sounds fucking brilliant. This is like should be like some like blockbuster action movie. Right. Like, you know, get Bruce Willis to be the cop. You know, I mean. What happened? This should have been great. <laughs> yeah, what happened was they didn't have enough budget for a no-name director. I mean, first of all, it's a it's a first-time writer-director, so there's your first red flag. Well, no, they, they came up with a good idea. That was a good idea, but, like, yeah, they got everything. The, the casting looks like a bingo card of every 70s TV show you ever had. Yeah, yeah, they just took a bunch of bit players from Happy Days and said, let's make a movie. They should have, you know, I'm going to shut up. At least the mask (laughs) looks cool. (laughs) So there's Evil in his Leisure Suit Larry costume in a disco. And he approaches the bar and he's watching people dancing. He's got his eye on a blonde woman at the end of the bar. And when her friend goes off to dance with another guy, he approaches and asks if she has the time because... This expensive watch is broken again. <laughs> See how expensive my watch is? <laughs> it don't work. I got this one in the 70s and it hasn't lost a minute in 10 years. <laughs> well, he explains to her that he's going to a party 
over at Eric Estrada's house. He's not Eric Estrada's manager. He's his business associate. Really, Eric Estrada? Eric Estrada, yeah. You think he'll guess he will play? Maybe he got him that deal with uh, uh, Dion Warwick on the Psychic Friends Network. Or uh, with, uh, you're, <laughs> have you ever heard of Cool Cat? I don't think I have. Eric Estrada appeared in this child's movie called Cool, cool Cat Saves the <laughs> Children with Vivica A. Fox. And their scene is pretty much they're drunk at a friend's house. And it, he brought out a camera. It's like, hey, I'm going to put you in this movie. And they're kind of like blind reacting to a guy in a cat suit that's not really there. It's very really strange. I'm sorry to go on a tangent. But yeah, you, you brought up Eric Estrada. <laughs> that sounds really bizarre. Oh, man, it's so funny to hear Eric Estrada drunk as shit saying, there he is, and then pointing, and then it cuts to a guy in a cat suit, like, telling kids, like, you shouldn't, like, litter across the street without looking both ways. <laughs> that sounds awesome. It is. There's a lot of history into it. That's, like, that's a whole other episode on it, so. But continue back to the party. Yeah, well, um, they're going to go to over to Eric Estrada's house for a party. He invites Sally, and she agrees, but she's got to go to the ladies first. So uh, she'll meet him out front. <laughs> everybody, every guy who's ever met a woman at a bar means this mean knows that this means you're never going to see her again. Yeah. But movies, so yeah, she actually meets him out front. <laughs> Except she brings her roommate Lisa with her. And he says, that's fine. That's fine. Yeah, the more the merrier. And, oh, by the way, this is my Mercedes. <laughs> Back at the hotel, Diane and Lieutenant Clayton are listening to the recording of Evil to see if there's anything that sounds familiar. Also, it is almost midnight in Chicago. Dun, dun, dun. In Evil's car, Sally is talking his ear off about transcendental meditation transactional analysis, and her friend Lisa's nervous diarrhea. <laughs> oh, man, conversationalist. Okay. Yeah, there we go. Now, he cannot wait to get this over with, he seems. She says, something, I'm sure you don't want to hear, you think I'm crazy. And he says, oh, you're exactly the kind of person I was hoping to meet at a place like that. <laughs> on the radio a crowd of drunken people are singing auld lang syne very badly as you do uh, yeah exactly <laughs> and lisa's gotta go i guess her nervous diarrhea is back they pull over at a, a liquor store and he gives her a hundred dollar bill and tells her when she's done in the restroom buy the biggest bottle of champagne they have <laughs> when lisa gets out of the car he offers to smoke a joint with Sally, and he pulls out a huge, like, Cheech and Chong-style plastic bag of, of pot, you think? But then he, he's, here, smell this, and he throws the bag over her head and starts strangling her. Yeah, never do that. No, if a stranger wants you to smell something in a plastic bag, don't do it. Especially with a mustache like that, I ain't even getting near that creep. Exactly. I mean, it's going to smell like... uh aqua velva or high karate they don't even make that shit no more and it still smells like that <laughs> it's it's 2024 and it still smells like aqua velva 
shitty ass Mercedes, broke ass fake mustache. So yeah, the radio announcer counts down to midnight. He pulls the bag over Sally's head and strangles her to death. And the camera outside the car shows the turn signal blinking. And then as Sally dies, the turn signal stops blinking like the turn signal represented her heartbeat or some cheesy shit like that. Or like her, like kind of screaming out in panic and stuff or like nothing. Yeah. Symbolization. Inside, Lisa is getting her change from the tallest liquor store clerk ever to stand in front of a teeny tiny counter. <laughs> when she leaves the liquor store, uh, the car is gone. And she sees one of Sally's shoes lying there on the pavement. So she yeah. does the only thing that makes sense when you're scared at night. She goes further into the dark alley. Oh, man. This shit is so much like one of those urban legend-like type things. Yeah. You know? And and then she found the shoe. And then she went down the alley and she found the other shoe. You know? And then she found Sally's dress sticking out of the dumpster. So she does what anybody would do. Run and call the cops. No. 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 She opens the fucking dumpster. And you know what he, she saw in the dumpster? What did she see? And she saw some creep with like a fucking lighter and a mustache and like a knife. And he grabbed her. And she saw her. Leisure Suit Larry hiding in the dumpster with a cigarette lighter. And he grabbed her by the throat and dragged her in. Yeah, no, nah, that's exactly what happened. That's totally like some urban legend shit. Am, am I the only one who knows who Leisure Suit Larry is? Oh, yeah, no, I know who he is. <laughs> He's a creep on games. the computer. I, uh, I only Yeah, it was like, kind, of a, kind of a Commodore 64 graphical text adventure game. Well, they, they like made them all up, you know. Like I played one of the later ones. I think it was like part seven or eight. Yeah. And they had one that came out like on the PlayStation 2 and the Xbox, where it was his nephew. Yeah, it was his nephew going to college. Yeah. Yeah. But it was still about getting drunk and trying to see boobies. Yeah, no, it was, it was mini game porn. <laughs> <laughs> it's like just every mini game you could think of on your cell phone. And then, like, you know, if you got to high score, you got to see, like, you know, a jiggle here or there. Yeah. Was, I mean, it was great when, you know, when I was a kid. Was, yeah, no, when was, you're a kid, it's awesome. It is awesome. Eight bit also, like a, rule, man. A lot of weird ass, like sixties and seventies, like media references that I probably wouldn't have got. Right. Yeah, but yeah, I got them for some reason. They, they were funny. <laughs> well, then Evil calls Diane to play the recording of uh, the killing and tells her to tell the police they can find the body at Ventura and Laurel Canyon. I looked it up. There's no liquor store there anymore. There's a, a two banks, a CVS, and a FedEx Kinko's there. So there may still be dead bodies. <laughs> it's behind the liquor store. Ooh. <laughs> well, then he changes cop clothes as the cops speed right past him. Because there's always that scene in a serial killer movie where the cops just walk right past the guy. Yeah, no, nah, like. For, like, just some crazy maniac, he's got, like, James Bond skills or some shit. I don't get yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. The cops arrive at the liquor store, and they open the dumpster, only to be frightened by a cat that jumps out of the dumpster. Jump scare. Yeah. Uh, the cops look in there and say, oh, we're going to have to call for backup. But we never see what's in there. Yeah. And it doesn't matter, because there's nothing in there, it turns out. 
Uh, there's a cop searching the bushes nearby, and then he opens up a gate, and there's the cat again, just looking at him. What the fuck are you doing? I got away from you already. Second <laughs> jump scare. <laughs> Uh, but he goes like walking through somebody's backyard, and there's the there's Sally dead with the plastic bag tied around her, neck, sitting on a swing set. And nearby, uh, there's a slide, and at the bottom of the slide is Lisa's bloody purse. And when they pick that up, Lisa's dead body comes sliding headfirst down the slide. Third jump scare. Things always yes. come in threes. Always come in threes. And that was a pretty good scene. I, I like the yeah. way they set that one up. I would have hated it if we'd just seen the bodies piled in the dumpster, but they made it interesting. I liked it. Yeah. Man, you gotta, you know, flip everything around. I mean, yeah. for like a tripe thing, even when they like reusing like tropes and shit, it, it's kind of fresh. Yeah. Because like, he, I'll, I'll give him that. You know, I hate agreeing with that asshole. He did get it right. It is really, you know, Pastures, uh, you know, everything you've seen, you've seen this shit before, like murder. Yeah, mystery. there's nothing original in this movie. It's it's all been done before, but at least they're doing it in a, in an interesting. Yeah, then they know they're being, you know, repetitive. They just punk rock, man. Come on, woo. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, Lieutenant Clayton gets a call about the murders. He is very sweaty for some reason now. Yeah. <laughs> Don't know why, and we're not going to find out why. He's not going to be sweaty later on. He's just sweaty right now. Now, Evil is dressed as a Catholic priest, and a bunch of bikers pull up around him as he's stopped at a red light. One of them yells at him to, Lay me a patch, Padre! <laughs> and then the, uh, the light changes, and he drive, and the, the bikers all drive off. On the radio, the police are warning to watch out for the killer. And evil is looking at a picture of a nun. That's yeah. On for some reason, don't have any context for that, and it's not going to come up again. It's a reason for him to take his eyes off the road so he can rear end these bikers that stopped at the next light. <laughs> now he backs up and speeds off, and the bikers give chase in a very orderly and controlled fashion, the way bikers. And that's when he pulls into the Van Nuys drive-in to get away from them. The drive-in is showing a promo for a double feature. It's uh, Blood Feast and Blood Bath. Nice. Two great movies. And as the bikers uh, blow past the ticket booth to look for the priest, he, he pulls into a spot and shuts his car off and pretends, oh, I was here all along. Uh, watching Blood Bath Feast. That's it. The bikers are riding up and down the lanes, but they can't find him anywhere because the Van Nuys drive-in, when it was open had parking for 891 cars damn good luck for finding good luck finding one of them we'll just look for the stupid priest yeah they had so much parking in there in in the uh mid 80s they expanded it so that they had three screens you could show three different movies simultaneously at the drive-in damn that would have been sweet it would have been i miss drive-ins you know I love to drive in. You know, the favorite, my favorite part about drive ins was the snack bar. Is when you get out to go to the snack bar or the restroom, either one, and you can hear all the speakers just echoing across. Oh, yeah. Place. No, you get, yeah. No, I remember that. You get like a tick. I used to do that. I would, uh, oh man, I used to hook up two different speakers to a VCR, two different radios through like a VCR or an amped or something, and then play yeah. it. And get that stereo shit. I would watch movies like that just to get just that to get thing the, the drive-in experience. Echo, yeah, yeah. I love 
Meanwhile, a young woman is smoking a joint with her while her boyfriend feels her up. He wants to have sex. She is stalling him, but he she's also not discouraging him. Eventually, a biker finds evil when he gets out of his car. He just comes around the car and the biker is standing there. Greetings, asshole. (laughs) (laughs) Evil. Evil says, I'm a man of God, not a man of violence. And then he just stabs the biker in the chest. Like straight on, yeah. And so he's dead. Then he pulls the horny teenage boy off of his girlfriend and steals his car and girlfriend and speeds out of the drive-in. Now he's got a fucking hostage. Damn, it's escalated. It is. Also, it's almost midnight in Aspen, Colorado, and skiers are celebrating by skiing down the hill with road flares. Woohoo! <laughs> it looks awesome on black and white TV. It does. <laughs> well, you can't see the third degree burns and shit. So. Right, exactly. Meanwhile, the frightened teen girl has made her way into the back seat and she is pleading with evil. She doesn't have money, but she'll do whatever he wants. They can even make it if he wants to, and she won't even make him wear a condom. Um, Fucking 80s. I know. So evil is driving away with his teenage girl hostage, and some drunken revelers are in the street, and they stop the car. They got streamers hanging all over them for some reason. New Year's, man. New Year's, okay. Um, They stop the car, and the girl jumps out the back and takes off. Evil chases after her with his switchblade. She runs into some trees and hides. He follows her to some bleachers. Apparently, there's a, a, a sports field of some kind near there. He's pretty sure she's hiding under the bleachers, so he's stalking her nice and slow, tapping on those metal bleachers with his switchblade as he goes. He's trying to flush her out, I think. The cops show up because, well, he left his car parked in the middle of the street. Yeah. Uh, that's when the drunken partiers point them toward evil and they go to investigate. He is still stalking the girl and he kicks over a trash can. But unlike every other teenage girl in a slasher, she is completely silent. Yeah, go he ahead. could totally see her, though. I mean, it's yeah. like she's silent, but like he kicked that trash can in that direction for a reason. Yeah, exactly. And he is about to make his move. And that's when the cop shows up. So. He takes off, and the cops rescued the young girl. It is midnight in Aspen, Colorado, but that murder did not occur. So, you know what? I got to say to this. Okay. Uh, thank God for public intoxication, because those two young dudes <laughs> saved that girl's life. So That's now, right. Like, yeah. There you go. Lieutenant Clayton is on stage at the microphone. Um and, you know, he can hear his voice going out through this entire ballroom. But still, is this thing on? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's like a bit, dude. Like, if anybody, like, thinks they're super funny and they're a little bit smart, they'll always do it. They'll do this, this thing on. I mean, that's like a dad joke. Yeah. <clears throat> but low-key, like, knowing that they have to listen to you because you're the one with the microphone and you still say that shit. That's like, I don't know. I think it's clever, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it seems that the hotel is being locked down. If anybody leaves this room, they will not be allowed back in. Backstage, Lieutenant Clayton explains that their consulting psychologist recommended locking the place down. He has profiled the killer, and he believes that he will be there at the hotel to kill Diane at midnight Pacific time. Also, he has mutilated the breasts of each of his victims, and that means he has a mommy fixation. What? That never happened. 
No, he just stabbed him in the chest. That's all. Yeah, this is you know where where the heart and lungs are. He stabs them there. Yeah, he didn't. You know, he didn't do that to that biker guy. Uh, You know, they didn't say that. No, he see this is (laughs) since I they're not. You know, it's not the the Jack the Ripper they're making it out to be. It's just some guy that's going around. I mean, I'm not defending this asshole, but that's sensational. You know, that's huh. Well, you got to anyway. throw some Freudian stuff in because I think it's just like it's the end of the movie and they're just like trying to get away with every single yeah. thing they get away with. Yeah. Also, when he says this, we see right around the corner uh, Diane's son, Derek, still with her red pantyhose over his head, uh, hidden around the corner, listening to all of them. Wearing sunglasses on top of it. Yeah, sunglasses over red pantyhose over his head. That, I mean, it's weird. With a hat but, pin through his ear. Yeah, that's a look, man. <laughs> <Maybe>. <laughs> Some designer had to come up with that. A costume oh, director no, no. came up with that. Well, Derek leaves and we cut to the hotel entrance where partiers are being prevented from entering even though they have ticket. Evil arrives. He was He caught a ride with somebody. He is still dressed as a priest. He tells his ride to go with God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And when he hears nobody's being allowed in the hotel, he sneaks around to the parking garage. There are a couple of cops at that door, too, so he hides behind a pillar and he calls out to the cop, saying he thinks he found a drunk. So one of the cops goes inside and the other one comes over to investigate and he knocks the cop out. (laughs) He knocks the cop out with a conveniently placed brick that was right there at his ankle. Yes. I mean, that's why he picked that pillar is because there was a brick sitting right beside it. (laughs) Of course. Yeah. Inside, Diane introduces Made in Japan again. It's a slow number, so the partiers are doing their zombie shuffling. Yeah. In the garage, Evil is dressed in the cop uniform, and amazingly, the chubby cop's clothes fit him perfectly. Yeah, even though he's like, uh, like what, 50... Almost, yeah, 50, 60 pounds heavier than, and maybe a foot or two taller than him. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Like a glove. Out front, even guests who are registered at the hotel can't. Evil exits the elevator, gun drawn, and he stops at an electrical panel. The one thing that I almost missed, I think I missed it the first time I watched this. I caught it the next time. When he's dressed up as the cop and heads into the hotel, the other cop has come back out and doesn't find it at all interesting that this is not the same cop that he left there. And why the hell is he carrying a suitcase now? Yeah, no, I'm telling you, this guy's got like some kind of James Bond talent. Your There's some training tricks. Yeah, no, because like he, he does. It's like, it just seems like he plays that part so good that it's like, I don't know, Jason Bourne is like, oh, yeah, no, that was the cop I just left. Yeah. Well, he exits the elevator, and he sets his suitcase down in the hallway by this electrical panel and just starts changing clothes right there in the hallway. (laughs) Yeah. Backstage, a cop warns Diane that the killer could actually be in the hotel. They found the unconscious cop in the garage, so he takes her to her suite where she's going to change clothes, but he needs to search it first. He searches it. And he finds Derek laying on the bed. Derek is all kinds of doped up. He's not wearing the pantyhose and shit no more. No, he's not wearing the pantyhose, but he is kind of passed out on the bed. Yeah. Uh, Diane forgot that he was in there. You know, the way <laughs> you forget you brought your kids with you. No wonder he's been fucking weird the entire movie. 
So she explains to the cop, yeah, this is my son. He's supposed to be here. So she asked the cop to wait outside while she... Derek, of course, is pissed that she forgot about him again. He says he had a surprise for her, but now he doesn't want any part of it, and he just storms out. And the cop leaves. He starts to change, and that's when a man in a Richard Nixon clown mask with a switchblade comes into the room behind her. Is that who that's supposed to be? Yeah, yeah, and or maybe Bob Hope. I thought it was Hardy from Laurel and it, Hardy. It kind of looked like it kind of looked like Oliver Hardy or Stan yeah. Laurel. I mean, Stan, yeah, no, I don't know. I don't like Stan Laurel. It kind of looked like Richard Nixon. It kind of looked like Bob Hope. Hope but one yeah. thing is for certain, he is wearing the um, Elvis Presley in Hawaii white jumpsuit. Yeah, tracksuit. This. Yep. Well, I know is this scared the shit out of me when I was a kid. Because it's it's pretty much that on like uh, a VHS cover, like just uh, the knife and hand, the mask, and like just the collar of the tracksuit. So that's all you really get when you see the cover of the movie. Yeah, and when you get the movie, it is a creepy mask. It is, man, and it's some. It's really stylized. It is like that old Deco nineteen Hollywood uh, caricature, right? Yeah, and um, yeah, dude, just that probably that mask and is why I remember this movie so much because it just it traumatized me when Yeah. Just the look well, of it is great. Well, he puts the knife away and then reaches toward Diane and that's when she yells him, sees him and jumps up screaming and he yells, Ooga Booga and uh-huh. takes off the mask and she immediately recognizes him as her husband, Richard. What the fuck? This is Diane's husband, um, and he goes to the door and introduces himself to the cop, who says, where the hell did you come from? Well, I was hiding in the john. Now, I gotta admit, when he first called the radio show, announced his plan to kill somebody, I kind of had a suspicion that that was her husband. Yeah. Also, is he like the most famous person besides the chick, like in the cast, like, you know, I think so, yeah. Yes, I think. Come on. (laughs) Well, Richard explains explains that the surprise was all Derek's idea. He says he drove up as soon as he heard the crazy guy call the show, uh, and he acts like he doesn't know anything about the murders that he has been committing all night. He offers to stay with Diane, but she wants him to find Derek, and she'll see them both after the show. When he leaves the room, the cop wants to know how he got in. Richard tells the cop that they called Ernie, Diane's agent, and Ernie okayed everything. So then the cop does something no cop ever did. Says, okay, you can go, and then calls to verify his story. (laughs) Back at the electrical panel, Richard opens up his suitcase and starts messing with the wiring inside. There is a monitor right next to it that lets him access a uh, closed-circuit video camera inside the elevator. That's awfully convenient. Yeah, it's like some fucking Mission Impossible shit. Yeah, he starts running wires all over. Uh, Meanwhile, Lieutenant Clayton gets a call telling him that Richard's Mercedes was found abandoned at the drive-in, and the driver of that Mercedes stabbed a biker and escaped in a stolen car with a hostage. It also turns out that Richard was a patient at the sanitarium. And a cop tells Lieutenant Clayton about Richard being in Diane's suite. The manager okayed it. Ernie says, like hell I did. Uh, also, Ernie says he always knew that Richard was crazy. 
Say what the this is like a fucking non movie then. Yeah. So it's not a who did it or whatever. It's like, oh yeah, we knew it. it we it's knew it was him. A, is he is he gonna kill the the main character? Is what it is now. That's fucked up. Is he gonna make the final kill? Richard and the cop, or or Diane and the cop, are in the elevator going back upstairs, and Richard is watching on the monitor, and he uses a screwdriver to short circuit the elevator, which causes it to just free fall. <laughs> uh, Diane starts screaming. And Richard stops the elevator suddenly, and Diane and the cop fall to the floor. The cop is knocked out, so Richard opens up the doors and drags the cop out. Diane, and she asks him what happened. Uh, then says she has to get upstairs for the show. <laughs> he tells her, "You're always such a trooper. The show must go on, but tonight the show is going on without her. He has a surprise." That's when he takes out his boombox and plays the recording of his first murder. And Diane realizes finally that evil is actually her husband, Richard. Dun, dun, dun. He has been doing all of this because he's fed up with being ignored by her and being emasculated by her. Uh, Her making him go to Yvonne to get an allowance every month from her. He says that she is just like every other woman in his life. He and Derek don't like the way she acts around other men, and she's just not very nice, and that's why he killed Yvonne first. (laughs) Okay? I mean, it makes sense to him, right? Yeah, no, he's he's fucking shitbird. He says that uh, she has castrated him, and she's trying to do the same thing to Derek, and that's just not very nice. Then he explains how Derek got a part in a TV series without using his famous mother's last name. Very proud of him. And he takes out the switchblade. He says it has been a very bad year for him. But midnight starts the first day of his new life. And on that first day of the year, he's going to go to the Rose Bowl with his son. Just just incoherent babbling. Yeah, nice. No, he's gone way off deep. Then he says it's getting late and he pulls Diane out of the office. Meanwhile, cops are knocking on doors in the hotel, checking on guests. And they are searching through the kitchen. Back in the hallway, Richard handcuffs Diane, and then he manages to make the elevator go up with doors open. There is a chain conveniently attached to the underside of the elevator car, and he takes this chain and wraps this around her neck, then handcuffs her to the other side of the car and tells her she needs some time to think about all this, all the way up and all the way down, and tells her to enjoy her party and get smashed. (laughs) Wonder what he could mean by that. Uh, dad jokes, I don't know. <laughs> the director of the TV broadcast is looking for Diane. Meanwhile, Richard sets the elevator car, sends the elevator car all the way to the top floor with Diane dangling beneath. At the top, she comes face to face with the corpse of Yvonne. That's why they couldn't find her body. It was in the elevator shaft. That, uh, that fake head looked pretty good for the time. Yeah. Yeah, it looked this really good there. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. Then the elevator starts back down. Richard uses a screwdriver to short circuit the uh, elevator circuitry and cause the car to free fall again. Now, there was nobody in the elevator when it went up, but on its way back down, there's a very drunk couple in the elevator, and the guy is covered up in plastic streamer. Yeah, some man. Yeah, he's, it's like a big muscular dude with no shirt on, and like he's got tape sleeves. It just looks like a bunch of scotch tape. It really and, does. Like this other chick is like this punk rock chick, and she's and stoned like, out of her gourd. Yeah, she looked like she could just got through puking with braces on. 
which if you if you know if you're had braces or you know people with braces once they puke and they look up at you it's like the most weirdest shit you've ever seen yeah yeah that's exactly what it looks like um they can hear diane's screams but they can't stop the elevator car yeah it's like they woke up drunk they're like what and then they start just beating on and said hey 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 you know yeah Meanwhile, the cops have found Richard and a, a shootout ensues. The cops can't shoot Richard, but they can sure shoot that electrical panel, which actually stops the free-falling elevator car. Who knew? Yeah. <laughs> well, Richard manages to escape into a stairwell, and the police give chase. And this is just my thinking on it, but any director who makes actors run up a bunch of stairs is an asshole. Yeah, well... You know that wasn't done in one take. Those guys were running up those stairs for an hour. Eh, it's not as bad as What's-His-Name while filming The Shining, you know. Okay. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> damn, man. The next movie that Scatman Crothers worked on after that, uh-huh. and they did something in one take, he started crying. <laughs> like, Scatman Crothers, like, broke down. He's like, I mean, we just, we just got to say the line, and that's it. And he's like, yeah. I mean... You I was ready to say it 17 more times. Yeah, no, it, it broke that, In man. In eight different ways. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, they, they eventually reach the roof, and Richard uh, looks out over the L.A. skyline. Then he puts his clown mask back on as the police arrive. Lieutenant Clayton orders him to freeze and drop his gun, and he does. Then he takes out his knife and his wallet, and he drops that. Then the cop orders him to put his hands on his head, and Richard starts quoting Hamlet as a portion of that to-be-or-not-to-be monologue. Yeah. And then he just jumps off the roof to his death in the parking lot, right in front of an ambulance. (laughs) As Lieutenant Clayton watches from the roof. Down in the parking lot, Derek has arrived. He is grieving for his dead father, and he takes the clown mask off of him before the cops lead him away. Uh, Also, Richard fell family-style guy. Or family guy style. Yeah. He is like face his... down with one leg bent and one arm behind his back. And like one leg up and then one leg kind of to the other way. Yeah, no. Yeah. I, I wake up like that every morning. <laughs> I don't go to sleep that way. I just wake up that way. Well, Derek is standing there looking at the clown mask and then you see him start to look angry. And now he's got a plan and he walks off. Meanwhile, Diane is unconscious on a gurney and she is being rolled out through the hotel. Outside the hotel, there's a crowd between her and the ambulance and they part like the Red Sea as they roll her. The paramedic climbs in and says that she's ready. Let's go. And that's when we see Derek in the driver's seat wearing the clown mask. And the real ambulance driver is dead on the floorboard. (laughs) And as the ambulance speeds away, the radio plays a New Year's message. It is midnight in Hawaii. And roll credit. Roll credit. I don't know if he killed her or not. Eh, they probably left it open like that because they was like, oh, we might do the psycho route and do like a, you know, a sequel or a prequel or I don't know. Yeah, if anybody wants to make a sequel to this movie, don't. Yeah. <laughs> it was a cool thing and then it gets all the way to the, well, I don't know, this misogyny and shit's kind of messed up and stuff. And right. like, uh, there's this like one part where you're just like, kind of trudging along you know because like you're like all right i want to get to the end of this but little parts like the the dumpster kill you know where he was the creepy with the thing 
And there was some scenes like where he's just like walking around dressed like a priest that I laughed at. That was funny, yeah. And but like I don't know, like there's one part where you're like there's like these asshole biker gangs and you're rooting for the ass or are you rooting for the asshole biker gang to kill the guy? Are I kind of was, yeah. Are you rooting for the guy to get away from the asshole biker? I see. I don't know what's going on. It's like there's, but it's it's a weird movie. That mask is traumatizing. It's about New Year's, so right. There's there's like not a lot of weird B movies. I mean, there's a couple of them, but this was like easy go to. Right. Well, that's our New Year's episode, everybody. I should tell you how the rest of the year is going to go. I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man, I think that's a podcast. All right. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. We had a lot of fun making it. Be sure to subscribe and leave a rating wherever you hear us. You can follow CDF Pod on Facebook and Instagram or at CDF underscore pod on Twitter. You can also visit our website at CDFpod.com. And don't forget you can help us make donations to film schools all across the country by going to Patreon.com slash CDF Pod. Join us next time as we explore another movie's so awesome it probably shouldn't have been made.